It's Tuesday, January 28th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. President Trump's defense team is wrapping up its opening arguments. So what case are they trying to make? Then... This vision for peace is fundamentally different from past proposals. Trump announced his big plan for peace in the Middle East, but some key players are saying they're not here for it. And finally, what happens when the traditional Iowa caucus tries to go digital? We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. The chaplain will lead us in prayer. Today, the defense wrapped up its third and final day of opening arguments in President Trump's Senate impeachment trial. We've been keeping up with the trial. For three days last week, we heard from the prosecution, a.k.a. House Democrats. Because remember, Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives on two charges, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. We summed up their case in our episode on Friday, if you want to go listen. But today, we're going to look at the main arguments Trump's defense team has made. Unlike the other side, Trump's legal team isn't made up of elected officials. So you'll hear from White House lawyers, Trump's personal lawyer, and some private practice attorneys. Let's get into it, starting with how Trump's side says it all went down. Democrats say that Trump abused his power by withholding military aid from Ukraine until they agreed to an investigation into his political rival, former VP Joe Biden, and his son, Hunter. In other words, a quid pro quo. But Trump's team, including the White House's deputy counsel, Michael Perpura, says that's not quite how it happened. The president did absolutely nothing wrong. The Democrats' allegation that the president engaged in a quid pro quo is unfounded and contrary to the facts. The defense says the president held on to the money because of a legitimate concern about corruption in Ukraine. And anyway, Ukraine got that money after all. Here was Trump's personal lawyer, Jay Sekulow. The security assistance flowed on September 11th and a presidential meeting took place on September 25th without the Ukrainian government, without Ukrainian government announcing any investigations. So what they're saying is no harm, no foul. That's the first big argument coming from the defense. But even though Trump's team says the president didn't condition funding on whether Ukraine would dig up dirt on the Bidens, they were also saying the Bidens deserve to be investigated. Remember, Hunter Biden was on the board of a big Ukrainian energy company while his dad was working on Ukraine policy issues from the White House. Another one of Trump's lawyers said that a lot of people were concerned about a potential conflict of interest and that that was enough to justify Trump's concerns about corruption there. Here's Pam Bondi, a former Florida attorney general and advisor on the defense team. And all we are saying is that there was a basis to talk about this, to raise this issue, and that is enough. To be clear, there's no evidence that the Bidens did anything wrong. But some top Republicans do think the Bidens should be investigated. And for those who don't want to bother arguing over the articles of impeachment, Ken Starr will do you one better. We're living in what I think can aptly be described as the age of impeachment. He's basically saying lawmakers are too quick to press the eject button on presidents. For context, Starr actually led the charge for President Clinton's impeachment in the 90s. And before Clinton, the last Senate impeachment trial was President Andrew Johnson's in 1868. So the argument that impeachment is too common is kind of a hot take. But that was part of a larger argument that Trump, 
didn't get due process. That means they don't think he was treated fairly during the investigation, and that this was a constitutionally invalid case driven purely by political aims. They're saying even without real evidence, House Dems rushed to impeach him. The process was never about finding the truth. The process was about achieving a predetermined outcome on a timetable and having it done by Christmas. And that is what they achieved. So what's the skim? Trump's defense team finished presenting its case in his Senate impeachment trial this afternoon. That means both sides have said their piece and we're one step closer to a vote on whether or not to convict Trump and possibly remove him from office. But first, the senators slash jurors will get to start asking questions, sort of. Starting tomorrow, they'll be able to write a question down on a piece of paper for either side. And then Chief Justice John Roberts will ask it out loud to the lawyers and House Democrats. After that, it's all about witnesses. Dems really want to hear from people like former National Security Advisor John Bolton. And after Bolton's unpublished book leaked, we're keeping an eye on whether enough Republicans will want to hear from witnesses like him, too. If you're looking for even more impeachment coverage, we're here for you. We've got a guide on everything to watch up on our website at theskim.com news. While senators are trying to figure out impeachment, Trump says he's got a plan to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's next. Today at the White House, President Trump presided over a grand unveiling. This vision for peace is fundamentally different from past proposals. After almost three years in the making, Trump revealed his long-awaited Middle East peace plan. And he seemed pretty proud of himself for getting there. Forging peace between Israelis and Palestinians may be the most difficult challenge of all. And he seemed pretty confident that, unlike past Middle East peace efforts, this one's gonna work. All prior administrations from President Lyndon Johnson have tried and bitterly failed. But I was not elected to do small things or shy away from big problems. The full peace plan Trump unveiled covered a lot of ground. We can't cover it all today, but there are at least a few parts of this plan we've got to talk about. But first, how we got here in the first place. The U.S. has tried to help both sides make peace for decades. And since the 70s, the U.S. always brought both sides to the table. In 1993 and 2000, President Clinton invited both Israeli and Palestinian leaders to the U.S. to talk peace. There can be no success without principled compromise. So did President George W. Bush in 2007. The time is right because Palestinians and Israelis have leaders who are determined to achieve peace. Then, President Barack Obama invited both sides to Washington, too. None of those three U.S. presidents achieved the peace they wanted. But at least they got the two sides in the same room. There's no one reason why the U.S. has become this kind of broker for Middle East peace. But experts like the former Palestinian peace negotiator Khaled al-Gindi point out that Israel has confidence the U.S. has its back. And on the flip side, that Washington is in a good position to push Israel to compromise on Palestinian requests. Like, hey, trust me on this. So on its face, that bias towards Israel was seen as an asset by both sides. Trump has gone a different way. In his first months in office, he angered Palestinian officials by appointing his son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner, to oversee the peace process. Kushner's family has a close relationship with Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. 
And Palestinians basically said, you trust him to approach this fairly? So Palestinians were skeptical about the Trump approach from the start. And things didn't improve. Trump went on and did some things directly contested by Palestinian authorities, like recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moving the U.S. embassy there, even though Palestinians claim part of Jerusalem as their capital, or recognizing Israel's control of the contested region of the Golan Heights. And Trump has yet to give any concessions to Palestinians. Instead, he started cutting economic and humanitarian aid that the U.S. had been supplying for years. That was pretty much all the evidence Palestinians needed to say Trump was only putting the pressure on them. By the end of 2017, they said, we're done. They turned their backs on talks with the U.S. entirely and never returned. And that helped set up the scene we saw today, in which the unveiling of an Israeli-Palestinian peace plan featured no Palestinian leadership. Reportedly, no Palestinian officials were even invited to the White House this week. As for today's actual deal, one detail is already looking pretty controversial. It has to do with the concept of a two-state solution that would see the state of Israel and a sovereign state of Palestine living side by side in peace. When he first became president, Trump sounded kind of mixed about the whole two-state solution. But today he said, that right there, that's my plan. Perhaps most importantly, my vision gives the Palestinians the time needed to rise up and meet the challenges of statehood. So Israel is already a state. Palestine, at least in the eyes of the U.S., is not. Palestinians don't have a country, so Trump's pledge sounds like a big deal. But for Palestinians to actually get the state they want, they've got a long to-do list. They'll have to scrub school textbooks of any references that promote antagonism toward Palestine's neighbors. They'll have to build an entire new financial system from the ground up and create a government that respects freedom of the press, religious freedom, human rights, and due process for everyone. Oh, and they'll have to fully demilitarize. All of that could take years. And in the meantime, Israel will get some immediate benefits, like getting to annex settlements it built on contested land. And having Jerusalem fully set aside as its undivided capital, even though Palestinians had long hoped to share the city. If you can't tell already, this is just one part of the peace plan that's stirring up controversy. Some experts have said the U.S. is basically drawing up the boundaries for Palestine without Palestinians having any say. Which means, just because President Trump has put out this plan, it doesn't mean it will become reality. Case in point, Palestinian leaders have already rejected the plan outright. One government spokesperson even called today's announcement a conspiracy to undermine Palestinian rights. And even though President Trump told Israel today that You have many, many countries that want to partake in this. We haven't heard much of that positive feedback just yet. It's 2020 Tuesday, and this week we're looking at an issue that doesn't actually have anything to do with campaign platforms. Election security. Next week, voters will head to the Iowa caucuses, and some of those votes are going to be electronically recorded through a mobile app. Microsoft did something like this before in 2016. They developed a mobile voting app for Iowa, but it didn't exactly go smoothly. A lot of people reported issues like sites crashing, Still, Microsoft said the app helped both parties report 95% of their results in just four hours. But one of the concerns around this app is that officials won't say who developed it 
and whether or not it's been tested by independent security firms. Why? They're worried that releasing too many specifics wouldn't just help those interested in transparency, but could actually help hackers get a window into the system. And that has a lot of experts worried. Remember, federal intelligence communities found that Russia attempted to interfere with the 2016 election. But that hasn't scared off other states from expressing an interest. The app is also expected to be used in Nevada, another key caucus state. And if it turns out to be a success, we might get to see it used on a larger scale. For more on the presidential election, we've got you with Skim 2020 Tuesdays. Head on over to theskim.com election to find what's in store between now and November. Profiles on the 15 presidential candidates. Yes, there are still that many. And explainers on where candidates stand on key issues. Seriously, it's all in there at theskim.com election. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. Mm -hmm.